You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Have you heard of the doomsday clock? It was created as a way of warning humanity about the, the threat posed by dangerous technologies of our own making and how close we are to destroying ourselves uh, with them. In 1947, the doomsday clock was first set at seven minutes to midnight, with midnight being catastrophe. It's fluctuated up and down since then. Um, In 1984, it was at three minutes to midnight. In 1995, it was 14 minutes to midnight. It has in recent weeks been set at 90 seconds to midnight, reflecting a view that we are the closest to global catastrophe that we've ever been. Let me read to you uh, an extract from a report uh, all about the the top 10 issues that will shape the international agenda in 2023. It reads, in 2023, limits, both individual and collective, will be tested, whether it be inflation, food security, the energy crisis, rising pressure on global supply chains and geopolitical competition, international security and governance systems breaking down and the collective capacity to respond to it all. The impacts of this permacrisis contribute directly to worsening household living conditions, which translate into rising social unrest and citizen protests, which will only increase. Cracks are widening and deepening, geopolitical, social, and the access to basic goods. Like the white ball on a pool table, the Ukraine war has given new momentum to the various transformations and crises that were already underway, which then began colliding with one another, increasing the sense of global disorder and acceleration of geopolitical uncertainty and of social upheaval. Where will the balls triggered by the war in Ukraine stop? What level of disorder will prevail when they do? And of the many crises, which could be the black ball that drops into the pocket too soon and produces a new existential threat? Above all, as continuous vulnerability and uncertainty become the new normal, what collective responses are being built? Um, If all that isn't enough, we've got talk in the news of uh, climate warming being renamed climate, no, global warming being renamed global boiling. That sounds fun, doesn't it? Um, We've got reports of, you know, fear about what artificial intelligence is going to do to us, whether it's going to destroy us. And then if all of that is not enough, we've got the US Congress currently conducting hearings into allegations of dead aliens, crashed alien spacecraft, and a secret government UFO program. I would say that the word of the year in 2022, which was the word permacrisis, which is a, word of the, a blend of the words permanent and crisis, permacrisis, I I would say uh, that that seems a rather appropriate way to describe our world at present, doesn't it? 
And right now, I can read your minds, and I know that some of you are quietly tempted to flick over to the book of Revelation, aren't you? Yeah? And, and it's tempting, isn't it, to declare that, that this permacrisis means that the end times are almost at the end. But I think it's, it's probably helpful to remember that even a casual look at history would remind us that this is not the first time the world has faced a period in history that those living through it would likely call a permacrisis. The idea of being in a permanent crisis and kind of lurching chaotically between seemingly unending and unpredictable, dangerous world events, it's not just a global thing, though. It's not just a distant kind of out-there problem. It's something that has started seeping into our individual identities. Mark Sayer, who is a pastor and a cultural commentator, he talks about how as society we are increasingly living with a crisis-based identity. He says, people in, in 2023, we're kind of seeing ourselves from a I can't cope with life perspective. We sort of define ourselves through our personal traumas and problems and our crises. It's like we kind of carry around an identity card that lists all the ways we are unwell and broken and unable to cope with life. And it's like we're saying, this is who I am. I am an individual in crisis. This is me. We kind of pin it to our chest. Not surprisingly, with all of this, we probably uh, we find that there's this, this sense of hopelessness that is quietly permeating through society. You've probably come across online, this is just to lighten the mood now, um, the memes, I can't adult today. It's, it's kind of like we've lost the ability to cope with everyday life those normal basic things. We, we, we just don't know how to deal with all the competing priorities that we're faced with each day, the, the news, all the entertainment, uh, the, our work, uh, food choices, experiences that we're presented with and just all the information that's out there. We just get overwhelmed. And I think of my own life and, and I think, wow, actually... I think increasingly my life is being shaped by this sense of crisis or this, this sense of impending crisis. You know, there's this, this attitude that I seem to be taking on of, of you know, oh, I don't want to burn out, I need to know my limits, I don't want to overcommit, I need to look after myself, take care of my mental health, I need to give myself enough life margin to, to cope with whatever big unexpected problems that, that might suddenly pop up. And so the, the, the chaotic, complex overload of modern life, um, you know, just, just too much stuff for me to deal with as a human being, it, it really risks shaping my identity more than my relationship with my Heavenly Father does. And I wonder if that's true for you too. I think the question for all of us is the same. In, in this world of chaos and crisis and competing priorities, how do, we, how do we live? How do we live a life that is good and right? And what on earth is a life that is good and right? 
You know, as Christians, why, why do we seem to be so heavily influenced by the permacrisis? What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say about how to live in this world and how to deal with all the, the competing priorities and problems of life? Do you know what he says to us? Do you know what he tells us to do? He tells us to go bird watching. Let me read to you again Matthew chapter 6 from 25. And I just want you to let these be the words of Jesus speaking to you. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But... Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. I think this passage, it just cuts through the noise and the complexity of our modern life and all of its crises. And it just sits as this this beautiful and very simple reminder of God's um, intimate and immersive interest in your everyday life. Earlier in the week, I went for a walk through Kindra Forest. And um, I, I, I always find a walk through the forest refreshing. But on this particular day, it it was just next level refreshing and restorative. And as I walked, I watched the birds. I went bird watching. And I don't know what it was about that day, but the forest just was filled with so many more birds than what I would ever see. And it was beautiful. And, and there were birds that sort of were tinged with yellow and there were little chubby ones that, that had, a, had red, a red breast and there's a little chubby one that had bright blue on its breast and a, 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 a zillion other different sized birds, crows, all sorts. And the sounds, the complexity of the sounds from these birds, there were so many more uh, birds making noises than what I could ever see or spot. It was just the whole forest was alive. And, you know, as I slowed down and just noticed the the beauty of the birds and just the beauty of the forest, it just, it shifted something in my soul. It kind of like recalibrated me in some way. 
And, and it was like God was walking with me through the forest. It was, it was like it was a, just this sacred place, you know. And he was just reminding me of his glory, his goodness, who he is, his sovereignty, the fact that he is in control. And he reminded me of who I am as his child. And, and so Jesus says to us, don't, don't worry about your life. Don't, don't worry about what might happen in the future. And there's four ways in this passage that he, he tells us about this, four things he reminds us of. Let's have a look at those. The first thing he says in verse 26, he says, um, you know what, God takes care of all those birds that are seemingly worthless. You're much more valuable than those birds. Do you know how valuable you are to your Heavenly Father? I think we need to remind ourselves of this, um, that as followers of Jesus, we, we live in his kingdom. And so his rule and his reign, it's going to hold us secure. It's going to guide us, support us, care for us, lead us. He provides for us. His, his kingdom is our, our refuge and our shelter from the permacrisis. And so we need to live first and foremost from this place of security and identity. I, I don't know how people in the world live and cope who, who can't and don't live out of the security of the kingdom of God. I just don't know how they do it. Do you know how valuable you are to your heavenly father? Like, do you really know that? Do you know what he's done for you? Do you know what he says about you? Let me read to you. Let me tell you what he says about you. This is from um, a book by Barry Chant. And he lists off uh, how Jesus, how we are now in Christ. All right? This this comes directly from the book of Ephesians. So you'll you'll recognise this from Ephesians. This is who we are. It says, I am a saint. Ephesians 1.1. Grace and peace are mine. Ephesians 1, 2, I'm blessed with every blessing. I'm chosen before the creation of the world. I'm predestined. I'm adopted into God's family. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. God's grace is lavished on me. Wisdom and understanding are mine. God's will is made known to me. I'm included in Christ. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. I have a guaranteed inheritance. I'm called to hope. I have a glorious inheritance. Uh, His incomparably great power works in me. God has given me life. I'm seated in heavenly places. I'm saved by grace. I'm God's workmanship. I'm brought near through the blood of Christ. I'm reconciled with others. I have access to the Father. I'm a fellow citizen with God's people. I'm a dwelling place for God's spirit. I'm a member of one body. I share in the promise of Christ. I can approach God with freedom and God is able to do immeasurably more than I ask or imagine. Amen, indeed. I mean, that's good news. Do you know that that is true about you? Of course, the caveat is that it only applies if you're in Christ, doesn't it? If he's your Lord, your saviour, your redeemer, your rescuer, if you've been born again of the spirit of God. And I would say, if you have not been born again of the spirit of God, what is stopping you? Taking hold. 
that precious truth. You know, it, it, it amazes me that, that people think that living in the permacrisis is a better option than bowing their knee before Jesus. That, that people would rather identify themselves as being in crisis rather than being in Christ. You are valuable to God. Take a moment, just receive that. Acknowledge that before him. Take a moment just to reflect on what God says about you. The second thing Jesus tells us here is in verse 27. And he says, well, you can worry, but it's not actually going to help you, is it? Won't help you. Anyone here ever played a game of pool? Pool table, pool, yep. Anyone actually good at it? Oh, are you? Okay. Anyone else? We can have a bit of a competition. No? No one else? All right, Alison, you're the winner. Um, now, look, there are two types of pool players. There's the physics player. All right? I don't know what that smart comment was, but I'll ask you about that later. There's the physics player. All right. Now, the physics player considers the angles and the force and the, the, the direction that the balls are going to go if you hit it in just this particular spot with just this amount of spin and the angle you have to put your stick to kind of get the spin thing happening. My husband, he's a physics player of pool. Okay? All right. Now... The other type of player, my type of player, all right, is the metaphysical player. And, and they think that, that just by willing the ball in a certain direction, you're going to be able to sink one into the pockets just by kind of like mentally desiring it hard enough. All right, anyone else a metaphysical pool player like me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, now, as much as I try and argue that, that um, my method actually has some level of success, and it does, I have sunk balls merely by willing it into the pocket, all right? Others would argue science, all right? And, and they would say, well, actually, it's just statistical chance if you manage to get a ball in the pocket that way. Um, you know, you can't actually just will it in there. And, of course, that's true, isn't it? The reality is trying to worry or urge a ball into the pocket by the power of my mental thinking has no real effect, does it? Now, Jesus says, don't worry, because, look, worry doesn't actually influence or change your daily physical reality, does it? I mean, if you've ever tried it, it doesn't. It does nothing. And by worry, of course, I mean, you know, that, that rumination, that, that repetitive thinking, that, that chewing over a problem. Do you ever do that? Um, you do it sort of excessively. Worry might mean you, you try and work compulsively hard for something so that you feel safe, you feel provided for. Maybe when you worry, there's this, this burden that, that you take on a load in relation to some sort of threat or perceived difficulty that's kind of out there. And the thing with worry is it's usually future-focused, isn't it? It's never really grounded in what's happening today. It's actually more about what might happen in the future, isn't it? And, um, you know, although I'm not so good at 
pull, I am actually really good at worry. It's, it's pretty much one of my skills, and I wish I could put it on my resume. My brain is just, just wired so well to excessively ruminate over things. Like, I can overthink problems skillfully. You know, I'm so good at it, I can actually perceive problems before they even exist, right? And of course, the quirky thing about worry is that it it's usually is about things that don't exist, isn't it? Things that haven't yet happened. And so this sort of mental effort, you might call it thought miles, it's never productive. It's mostly destructive, and it just makes more worry, doesn't it? Corrie Ten Boom says, worry does not empty today of its sorrow. It em- oh, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. It's true, isn't it? Worry is unproductive. The third thing that Jesus tells us in verse 30 He says, well, God cares for the rest of creation that's not eternal, that's not made in his image. So, of course, he's going to look after you and your needs because you're the most special part of his creation. He has loving care of your soul from, from before you were born and then forever into eternity. I mean, the, the chaotic forces of the world that we face now, they're just temporary, aren't they? They won't last, will they? They have no real enduring power, do they? 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading and it's kept in heaven for you who have been protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be received at the last time. We've been reborn into, we've been given this this new birth, haven't we? And it's into a living hope and we have an inheritance that cannot be destroyed or stolen from us. We gain access to the same resurrection life that Jesus did. Church, there is more to come. We will not be destroyed by whatever crises we face in this world. Our inheritance is kept in heaven for us and it's held by the power of God. So don't worry. The best is yet to come. We're safe. The fourth thing Jesus says in verse 32, he says that Gentiles chase after these things, but you have a heavenly father who knows you need them and will provide for them. So Jesus says other people, the unbelievers who don't don't know their heavenly father, they have to make these things a priority. They have to live in the perma-crisis. They must fight their way through life because they don't know or don't have access to their Heavenly Father. So why act like the unbelievers? Don't, Don't you trust your Heavenly Father? Who are you? Or rather, whose are you?
And really, at the heart of this passage, at the crux of everything that Jesus is saying here, is the question, the challenge for us, do you trust God? Do you trust God? Do you trust God? So, if Jesus had an Instagram account, you know, in the news this week, you know, did you see it? Chatbot Jesus. Anyone see that? Chatbot Jesus. You know, where you, you ask Jesus, the chatbot, any questions and he'll answer you. Oh my goodness, the world does not need chatbot Jesus, does it? Anyway, if Jesus had an Instagram account, does this mean he would post this nice little sermon online and maybe pop a picture of some wild flowers or something there and then hashtag, don't worry, be happy? Or maybe this is a good one, hashtag, too blessed to be stressed. That's going to help, isn't it? Or what about hashtag power of positivity? Uh, there's this, this thing called toxic positivity and it's where people will only express positive feelings or thoughts about like everything. And it's this thought that expressing negativity um, is bad. In fact, it might even manifest that particular negative belief or thing. Now, there's a Christian version of toxic positivity, and it's, it's sometimes called positive confession or the word of faith movement. It's usually associated with your prosperity gospel preachers. Um, you know, and sometimes it could be just as simple as, as Christians, we, we kind of think that we're supposed to be filled with constant joy and delight because and, we're living the victorious life and we've been healed and um, you know, we have access to that abundant life, Jesus promises. And, and so if I'm not 100%, 100% of the time, there's something wrong with my faith, something broken with my spiritual life. And so what we then do is we kind of feel we have to pretend that everything is okay. It's kind of like the meme. You've seen this one, um, the, the dog in the burning room having a cup of coffee. This is fine. It's kind of what we do, isn't it? When Jesus tells us not to worry, this is not about denying or ignoring or downplaying some of the very hard, difficult, confusing things that happen to us. And in our, our little church over the years, there are some genuinely traumatic, hard, difficult, exhausting or confusing things that people face. And so this is not a trite, oh, don't worry, it'll be fine. Just stay positive. Think about what Jesus is teaching you today. Confess these scriptures aloud three times per day until your problem resolves. It'll be good. Jesus was well acquainted with the stresses and difficulties of human life. In fact, in verse 34, Jesus indicates that there, there will actually be plenty of problems that we face. And so this is not about escaping or denying problems. Instead, Jesus helps us to reset our attention and reset our affection so that these crises don't become our Lord and Master. 
That's what he says in verse 33, and, and, and this is just the beautiful focal point of this whole passage. He says, but strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He tells us to prefer and prioritise God's kingdom and his righteousness. He says, put those things first in your life. Go after them. Seek them out. Eagerly desire them. Strive for them. And, you know, we can do this because we can trust that God will sort out all of the other stuff. And so as we we draw to a close here today, I just want us to have a think about some of the stuff that's going on for us. What I want us to do is I want us to demote worry and promote Jesus. Demote worry, promote Jesus. And I want you just to imagine in your, in your head a, a scale, a vertical scale. At the top is number one. It goes down two, three, four, five. I just want you to ask yourself, what's What's at number one right now? Like what things are big in your life right now? They might be dominating uh, feelings. They might be practical concerns. They might be concerns about people. What things are at number one right now in your life? And I, I wonder if those things, can you, can you push them down from number one down a number to number two or even number three? Can you, can you demote them, demote their priority? Now, those things, they might still need some attention from you, some sort of action. You might still need to do with, deal with some practical things. You might still need to go to the doctor or you might still need to forgive someone. You you might still need to go and get a job or just organise your life better or take medication or whatever it is. But but what we're saying is, is these problems exist, but they're not my ruler. They're not going to have the biggest say in my life. I'm not going to be consumed by them or led by them. My identity is not going to be formed by those things. These things, they are sinking sand. They are not my rock. And once you've demoted those things, can you, can you promote Jesus into that number one position? Because he's our rock, isn't he? Can you, can you give the kingdom of God that number one position? Can you give it the biggest influence upon your life? Can you prefer and prioritise the things of God rather than the, the immediate everyday world of crisis that we live in? Now, these things will likely try and, and push, push their way up in your daily priorities. They have a habit of doing that, don't they, those, those worries and problems? And, and, and often the noise and the demands of our world is a bit like a funnel, isn't it? They sort of just seem to channel chaos towards us and often that is the work of the enemy and we need to be aware that the enemy likes to channel chaos and worry our way and and so this might not be easy and and you might need to do this a lot demote the worry promote Jesus demote the worry 
promote Jesus. But if we keep choosing to do that, to demote and promote, we will find that we can live free of that crisis identity and we'll discover that, that, that above the permacrisis of our world, there is a way of living that is rock solid. And we can live strong and confident and capable and, and different lives. Good different. Jesus, the rock, is the answer to our global permacrisis. He's the solution to our crisis identities. So seek him first. And then if you need to, go bird watching as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do declare that you are Lord and King. Lord, we know that your, your loving care for us exceeds all of the, the, the difficulties, the chaos, the competing priorities, all of the worries of our hearts and this world. And so, Lord, right now, we just, we just demote the, the priority of those things in our life and we just promote you, Jesus. You are our heart's one desire. You're our Lord, our master, our king, our ruler. And we bow our knee before you. And we just thank you that, that through the cross, we are able to live in Christ rather than in crisis. So Heavenly Father, would you um, strengthen us through that truth, change us through that very real reality. And may we be a people whose identities are formed by what you say about us, not by what the world says or not by the, the permacrisis in our world. Holy Spirit, just minister to your church today. Come and make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you want prayer about any of those things, I'd love to pray with you or, or just grab someone near you and ask them to pray with you. Don't go home crippled by this stuff. Go home in freedom.